Welcome to Bible Shots. How are you today? My name is Russell Matthews. For those of you I have that opportunity of meeting, I'm with the City Bible Forum team. Our organization is the one that brings together Bible Shots and other events that go on around the city and the country. And so we're really glad that you're joining us online today for the second week of this series with Lachlan Orr as our speaker going through the Book of Ruth. Bible Shots exists because we want to take time out in our day to read the Bible and think about something that's really relevant to us today from the Bible itself. The message that you'll be able to see today will hopefully apply to us all, even in the strange, in the strange new existence that we live in in history. We're glad that you can join us. As long as you're happy to kind of consider the Bible, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, regardless of your faith position, we hope that you would really consider the substance of the talk today and even ask some questions of our speaker, Lachlan, or after the talk. Also, if you have further questions beyond just the talk itself, our team would really love to connect with you. And so you can either um, respond to Lachlan's email that he sent out earlier with the details of the event. Also, if you want to just kind of have a chat with us, we're always willing to do that. You can put that over in the chat and we'd be able to get up with you as soon as possible. Our, love would, our team would really love to connect with you in that way. For those who might be joining us for the first time today at Bible Shots, welcome. We really wanted you to know how much we appreciate you being here today. And what I want to do is just kind of explain the different phases that we're going to be going through when it comes to looking at the Bible. Today, we're going to, I'm going to read a portion of the Bible based out of Ruth chapter 2. And then what will be also be available on your screens, you'll be able to follow along, or if you'd like to follow along with your Bible, if you have it there available to you. Then Lachlan will actually give a talk after that, and he normally chairs the meetings, but he's going to be giving a talk today out of Ruth 2, which is in the Old Testament of the Bible, on how to live through uncertain times. So now one question to kind of consider for yourself, and we'll ask Lachlan of this in a minute, is how do you live within these uncertain times? And then after the talk, what we'll do is we'll come back to you and be able to ask, you can ask your questions of Lachlan, and then we'll kind of finish up around 1.30 or so. The easiest way for you to get involved is you can do it on the Zoom chat, and you can go down to the Q&A that's down there at the bottom and be able to go and put in your questions throughout the talk, and then we'll be able to ask that question of Lachlan if we can have the time. Or if you want to, if you're joining us today on um, Facebook, Facebook Live, you can also put your questions in there and engage with us in that way. So before we get to the talk, though, I really got to get to Lachlan because I'm really curious about this topic. Um, and it's really a great one for you to be able to go to. How are you doing, Lachlan? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm doing all right today. Thanks, Russ. Uh, managed to have a good night's sleep, which is not always guaranteed with a seven-month-old. Last week uh, wasn't amazing, but this week was good. So fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, good. Well, but you know what? It is an interesting era, especially for your son to be born into. I mean, it's a this over the last seven months in particular. It's very uncertain times that we're kind of living in in so many ways. It's not normal. There's nothing really normal about anything that's going on. How are you coping with these uncertain times yourself? Yeah, uh, I think um, I think like many people I speak to, you know, the the uncertainty does actually leave you feeling. Uh, frustrated and anxious in some ways. And uh, I think, and I'll, I'll touch on this as we start my talk, but I think my, uh, the thing I, I keep wanting to do is uh, try and control things as much as I can uh, right. to cope with the uncertainty. And the, the times I notice I get really frustrated uh, are when my uh, meager attempts to control things uh, are thwarted. So, you know, when my uh, attempts to have a good work schedule just, you know, get thrown out the window because 
you know, working at home with a seven-month-old who doesn't want to <laughs> doesn't want to that schedule. <laughs> what? He doesn't understand your schedule. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, and yeah, and so just to to kind of feel that uh, anxiety, I guess, of the of the uncertainty as well. Yeah. Well, it's it's really really good for people to know that you're going through it just like everyone else. But I think that the Bible really has something for us to offer, um, even in a book from the Old Testament, um, in the Book of Ruth, which is a very popular book um, in so many ways. But it is fascinating how it really speaks into our times as well as the time that it was actually written in. So, Lachlan, how about if I go ahead and read Ruth chapter two? And yep, Lachlan's going to put it up on the screen for you. And then I'm gonna, and then once we're finished. We'll let Lachlan get to the talk today on um, how to cope with the uncertain times. Starting at the sentence mark number one, there at the top. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Bo Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in those whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, and the Lord bless you, they answered him. Boaz answered the overseer of his harvesters. Who, is that, who does that young woman belong to? And the overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaths behind the, the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from the morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in, in any in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the women, and I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about I've been told all about you, what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you do not you did not know before. May the Lord bless and may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord. The God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine and vinegar. And when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain she ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let, you, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. 
So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, and then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to be about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over, what she had eaten that she, after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And then Ruth took her mother-in-law about, about the one, it told the, her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is your close relative. He is one of your guardian redeemers. Then Ruth and the Moabite, said, the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to clean, glean until the, the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Lachlan. Brilliant. Thank you, Russ. Well, since early March, one of my uh, regular compulsive activities has been to check out the ABC's coronavirus data charts. Uh, Part of why I do it is just to stay informed about what's going on and you know, jumping on the ABC website means I know if there's anything I really do need to know. Uh, but part of it is also uh, to try and get a sense of control. Um, in early April, just as this curve started to flatten around Australia, I actually felt an immense sense of relief. Of course, with cases continuing to climb in Victoria and the daily number of cases hovering in the mid, mid to late teens, here in New South Wales, combined with the news of the new breakouts, uh, checking the charts daily tends to fill me more with tension than relief. And I know I'm not the only one who feels a little bit like we're waiting for the hammer to fall, uh, waiting for virus case numbers to keep climbing and for lockdown to come into force here again. See, I seek out knowledge about what is happening because it makes me feel like I'm a bit more in control, but really, I am not in any control. <laughs> and so it kind of brings us to today's question. How do we live in uncertain times? What are the alternatives? Well, in case you missed Russ's welcome before, let me just say, hi everyone, I'm Lachlan. Glad to have you at Bible Shots today. Uh, it, looking at the Bible together, it raises big questions that everyone grapples with at some point in our lives. It's one of the things I love about looking at the Bible. And it's one of the reasons we regularly set time aside to consider what part of the Bible has to say. And today's talk is part of a series where we're looking at the book of Ruth. It's a part of the Bible. It is full of drama and romance. And it tells what's arguably the sweetest story in the Bible, which does make for a nice change of pace in the midst of our uncertain times. But at the same time, the book of Ruth doesn't hide from the reality that life is anything but straightforward. Life can be full of uncertainty, disappointment and grief. And in the face of uncertainty, that actually makes the book of Ruth a really good book to be getting stuck into and considering what it has to say to us. Uh, this week, 
builds on the part of the story we saw last week. Now, if you missed last week, that's okay. I'll cover some of the key points in the moment, uh, in a moment, but just a couple of things just generally to keep in mind before we get stuck into the passage. Uh, now, you don't have to hold to a particular faith position to participate in Bible shots. We can look at the Bible together and it still raises profound questions for all of us to think through. That said, the part of the Bible we're looking at today is particularly interested in thinking about what the God of the Bible is like. Now, there's definitely a place for thinking about whether or not God exists, and if so, is it the God of the Bible? And if you wanted to have that discussion or maybe to be pointed to some resources, uh, you could contact me uh, through our email, bibleshots at citybibleforum.org. But you could also have a browse around the city website, uh, City Bible Forum website, citybibleforum.org. There's lots of great resources there. Uh, but so yeah, the, the, the passage today is focused a little bit more on what is the God of the Bible like. We also need to keep in mind that Ruth, the story that we're looking at, it comes from a very different time, a different culture. Some parts are going to seem quite strange and foreign and might even grate against our sensibilities. Uh, I'm going to address some of these as we go through, but if there is something you want to dig a little bit deeper on, um, please do ask in Q&A time. You can send your questions through using the Q&A function down the bottom of Zoom, or if you're joining on Facebook, uh, using the comments section there. Well, last week we considered that in the end, life is uncertain. Whatever you do, no matter how lush our surroundings might be, sooner or later, death catches up with everyone. We live in a world of uncertainty and we can't secure lasting peace for ourselves. But we saw this as we started considering the story of two women. Uh, despite their attempts to uh, maximize the security of their situation, uh, tragedy struck their family. The men in their lives died and there was no brother to marry Ruth to keep the family going and ensure that these women would be provided for and protected. And now in the ancient world, uh, women were much more dependent on the men in their lives than today. And children were essential for making sure that you were looked after and fed as you aged. Uh, sons in particular were needed to act on behalf of the women in their lives in certain situations. And so one of the ways that childless widows, a particularly vulnerable segment of society, were looked after was that it was expected that a deceased man's brother would marry his widow and provide her with children. It might seem odd and maybe a little bit unappealing to us, but it helped make sure that vulnerable people weren't left out in the cold. And so part of the tragedy of the circumstances Naomi and Ruth were in was that the men in their family had died. There was no brother to marry Ruth to keep the family going and ensure that they would be provided for and protected. Despite the fact that they had returned to God and his land and his people, it didn't really seem like God offered a much better alternative. They were still destitute. They were still vulnerable. They're still facing a bleak and uncertain future. In fact, we saw Naomi described herself as bitter and empty. And it was a situation that God had brought about. Ruth and Naomi needed someone to rescue them. So today we're looking at Ruth chapter two and considering how it answers the question, well, how do you live in uncertain times? Is God a better alternative? And we're going to do that in three parts. Uh, as we look at the story, we're going to see serendipity out in the field. And finally, at the end of the day, there are three sections and we'll finish off by considering some of the implications that this story has for us today. 
So remember, last week we saw there was no brother to marry Ruth. Ruth, no brother to keep the family going and ensure that these women would be provided for and protected. Naomi and Ruth needed someone to rescue them. But then we start reading chapter two. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, Naomi's husband, whose name was Boaz. Naomi and Ruth needed a rescuer, and it just so happens that here is someone who ticks the boxes. He's a close relative. He's a man of standing. His name is Boaz. Uh, now, I love stories of serendipity, you know, where seemingly random events lead to a happy outcome. Uh, Percy Spencer, for example, he was a scientist who worked on radar and he had a problem. It just so happened that as he'd gone about his work, the chocolate bar he'd been keeping in his pocket for a snack melted. And in the course of investigating why did my chocolate bar melt, well, it led him to develop and patent the world's first microwave oven. You can reheat last night's dinner for lunch today because Spur Percy Spencer wanted a chocolate bar as a snack. And this next segment of Ruth, it's kind of set up as a bit of a moment of serendipity. You know, we're alerted to the presence of Boaz, this person who seems to tick all the boxes that will help Ruth and Naomi out of their problem. Then Ruth goes out to work in the field, going to collect the grain that the harvesters leave behind. That was another one of the ways that the poor were looked after in those days, kind of like an ancient work for the dole scheme. And of all of the fields that Ruth could have gone to, it just so happens that the field Ruth starts working in belongs to Boaz. Our story is kicked along by this seemingly random encounter. But I don't think we're meant to see this as random at all. As we are reading this story, the narrator, he expects us to be reading it through the lens of the rest of the Bible. And a reader who knows the rest of the Bible, well, they know there's no such thing as chance in God's world. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, for example, says, the lost lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Or perhaps in a more contemporary way, it's basically saying, God controls the roll of the dice. There are no random events. God is in control. This opening, it starts to remind us of how God acts. Serendipity, seemingly random events with positive outcomes, are evidence of God acting kindly for his people. But as we move out into the field of Boaz, we meet the man out in the field, point two. We've heard about Boaz, but as we meet him, we get an even better impression of him than we already had. He's well disposed to his workers. His workers seem well disposed to him. Of course, what we really care about is what happens when Boaz meets Ruth. And when Boaz meets Ruth and learns who she is, well, we see he actually provides for her needs. He provides protection and he provides provision. The world is still an uncertain place, but Boaz offers Ruth somewhere she can work, where she's free of harassment. So he says in verse nine, watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. Later, he makes sure his harvesters know not to harass her. Boaz ordered his men, let her glean among the sheep. Don't reprimand her. And later, when she returns home to Naomi, Naomi also recognises the significance of what has happened. She says to Ruth, it will be good 
to uh, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field, you may be harmed. Boaz provides protection. But he also provides provision. Not only did he encourage her to work behind his harvesters, he also said, when you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that my men have filled. When it was lunchtime, he actually invited her in. He said, come and have bread, have some of the wine vinegar. He gave her some roasted grain as well. Uh, she ate so much that she was full and had food left over to bring home to Naomi. He even ordered his men to make her work of gathering food easier. He said, pull out some of the sheaves and leave them behind for her to pick up. Don't rebuke her for this. In the end, she left with about 13 kilos, that's how much an ether weighs, of food. I'm told that's about a week's worth of food collected in one day. That's a good amount of grain. Boaz provided provision. In this middle unit of the story we're looking at today, we see there's abundant protection and provision and it comes through Boaz. Naomi and Ruth needed someone to rescue them and this guy ticks all the boxes. Boaz provided provision and protection, but again, I think there's something else going on here, something that we could miss, particularly if we're a little bit more caught up with the question of what's going on with Boaz and Ruth? Will they, won't they? What's going on? See, Boaz was the agent that provision and protection came through, but the narrator wants us to see that this provision and protection, it ultimately comes from God. You see, right in the middle of that scene, Ruth asks Boaz, why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And Boaz replies, well, I've been told all about all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. You left your father and mother, your homeland, and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. See, even though it's Boaz who's providing for her, he's acting as a proxy for God. See, on the one hand, Ruth is experiencing favour from Boaz, but at a deeper level, she's actually experiencing God's favour. God rewards, he provides for and protects those who take refuge under his wings. And again, this expands our understanding of how God acts. God acts through his people, being generous. What's point two? Moving on to point three, at the end of the day. See, at the end of the day, Ruth brings her haul back to Naomi and, and it's just a lovely scene. Naomi, who was previously described as bitter and declared that God had brought her back empty, she actually seems to be quite overwhelmed. And I think the key is verse 20. She says, the Lord bless him, referring to Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Now, there's actually a little bit of ambiguity there. When it says he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, who is the he? Is it Boaz or is it the Lord? Is it God? And even in the original language, it's ambiguous. Who has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead? I mean, it could be Boaz, after all, he's the one who acted to provide for Ruth in the field. But it could also be God. And I actually think this outcome is more likely. Uh, this, this is the more likely uh, meaning that's being hinted at. You see, the word that is there translated kindness 
in the original language, it's, it's hesed for those who are keeping score of these things, but it's an incredibly important Old Testament word. You know, we can't really capture it with just one English word. It's a, it's a word that closely is related to God's promises uh, and it incorporates all the positive attributes of God, uh, his love, his faithfulness to his promises, his mercy, his grace, his kindness, his loyalty. And you see, in Boaz's kindness, Naomi has seen God's kindness in action. As she looks at the evidence before her, she's convinced God is the God he claims to be. God does, in fact, keep his promises. God is trustworthy, even in the midst of great uncertainty. And I think we're meant to see that recognising God's kindness allows her to start hoping. She actually starts looking to the future. Do you see that second half of verse 20? She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. She recognises that he is in a position to rescue them. And it's worth noting at this point, the problems that Naomi and Ruth are facing, they actually haven't been resolved at this point. They are still poor and vulnerable widows. The substantive difference from the start of the chapter is that now they just have about a week's worth of food with them. But they've got evidence as well that yeah, God is trustworthy. And that changes everything for Naomi. She recognises their situation is not as hopeless as she thought it was. Now, of course, from a story point of view, we are left wondering at the end of the passage in verse 23, we read, Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. Eight weeks or so pass and nothing further seems to happen between Ruth and Boaz. It's kind of a, a classic, will they, won't they cliffhanger. The harvest is over. The reason for Ruth and Boaz to keep bumping into each other in Boaz's field is gone. The harvest is finished and it looks like our hopes that Boaz might be the one to step in and rescue Naomi and Ruth have been dashed. Will they be rescued? Well, more on that when we get to Ruth chapter three. But to finish up, we're going to just quickly consider what does this passage have to say to us today and circle back to our question, how should we live in uncertain times? We've seen the big point of the story today is that God is kind, trustworthy, gracious. Now, we don't assume that because you've tuned into Bible shots, you have a particular faith position. You know, if you are just here considering what it is the Bible claims, as I tease out this idea of God being kind and trustworthy and gracious, you might like to consider, how would your view on the world change if this were true? What would it mean? If you do follow Jesus, though, you know, I probably don't have to convince you that in bleak and uncertain times, it can actually be hard to see that God is kind and trustworthy and gracious. But that's the position put forward in Ruth 2. And as we think about what the passage is saying today, we need to remember that the promises God makes to us today, they're not exactly the same as the promises that Naomi, Ruth and Boaz were holding on to. So in the New Testament, in a letter to the church in Corinth, uh, Paul wrote to the Christians there, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. See, God has not promised us today material prosperity in the land of Israel. What he's promised us is that if we follow Jesus, we have all of 
his riches. We don't need to fear death. If we follow Jesus, our sin has been forgiven and we can look forward to eternal life with him and all of the blessings and riches that that brings. And the proof is in his death and resurrection to life. And if you're considering, well, is the Bible true? This is the key point to investigate. Did Jesus die and come back to life? That's the key point to investigate. But the Bible's perspective is that in the midst of uncertainties and the anxieties of life, in the midst of its disappointments and tragedies, God promises to give eternal life to those who trust him. And he can be trusted because Jesus died and came back to life. We may never know the why uh, of the uncertainty and bleakness of the times we sometimes find ourselves in the midst of, like right now. But if God is in control, And if he can be trusted to make good on his promises to give us eternal life in Jesus, well, that actually gives us who are follower of Jesus freedom in the midst of difficult times to recognize the smaller ways God shows his kindness. Because if God is trustworthy, I think part of what Ruth says to us today is that it kind of acts as an invitation to us to consider all sorts of events that impact us for good as coming from God, from the seemingly chance encounters through to the kindness of others, especially those who follow Jesus. These ultimately come from God. They are signs of his kindness. I think it also challenges me uh, to consider that God's kindness doesn't always seem as glamorous as I might like it to be. I don't know that I would have immediately considered eight weeks of tough labor harvesting in a field as an act of God's kindness, but through that act, it, brought, it managed to meet Naomi and Ruth's material needs. The part of Ruth that we've read today, it actually invites us to consider all sorts of events as evidence of God's kindness to us. Now, at this point, there are some implications depending on uh, which kind of category I guess you are in. Um, I've already suggested that if you are considering the claims of Jesus, it's worth thinking, well, how would your view of the world and your place in it change if the Bible's outlook here were true. But it also might be worth considering how would your view of the world and your place in it change if everything is just random, if there is no God and it's all down to chance. But if you are a follower of Jesus, though, the implication is that in the midst of uncertainty, we can still know the one who is in control and can be counted on. And that actually allows us, it even encourages us to give thanks to God for the kindness that he does show. Uh, And finally, in an uncertain world, some of us will find ourselves in a situation similar to Boaz, uh, where we have been entrusted with great riches. Boaz models someone who recognises that what he has actually belongs to God, and God wants it to be used for good. It isn't for Boaz to just hoard up for himself. Followers of Jesus may have great resources to be generous with. Uh, They may have uh, material resources, but every follower of Jesus actually has the riches that Jesus won for us on the cross. Because in uncertain times, well, what better thing is there to share than the fact that God is kind, he is trustworthy, he is gracious, and he is in control. And I think that is how this part of the Bible calls us to live in uncertain times. It's how we as followers of Jesus do live in uncertain times. We remember that amidst the uncertainty, God is trustworthy. He is kind. He is gracious and he is in control. 
Thanks, Russ. All right. Well, uh, now, Lachlan, uh, we'll, we'll get back. We'll, we'll come back to you here in just a moment. I think that we, uh, uh, as far as asking questions and things like that, I, if anyone does have questions, we have a couple more minutes, I believe, that if you want to throw them into the Q&A here on Zoom or if you want to put them into the Facebook um, chat, you can go ahead and do that. Um, but one thing that I think we kind of passed over, I mean, there's so much in this, there's so much that can has, that could be covered, obviously. But one phrase that um, kind of stands out when you're kind of going through this that doesn't really get explained, it's kind of almost assumed that you know when mm. you read it, is that whole term of guardian redeemer, or as in some translations, it's kinsman redeemer. Yeah. What, what does that even mean, Lachlan? I'd be curious. Yeah, it's a really good question. And in some ways, I left that because there's only so much we can ground we can cover, and it's going to get focused on a lot more in the next section of Ruth. Um, but in summary, uh, the guardian redeemer, I guess, is it's someone who uh, they're not, it's not a brother. So it's not someone who's got this, uh, I guess, uh, the assumption that they will uh, marry, but they are close enough that there is this uh, expectation that they could be someone who will kind of step up uh, if that other person doesn't exist. Uh, so there's someone who is in this role, in, is in this position to step in uh, and, uh, and, look after the family in the way that the, the brother was meant to. So in summary, yeah. But like, but like I said, it's, uh, it's really unpacked a lot more over the chapter three and chapter four. And so we'll think a little bit more carefully about it then. Okay. Okay, great. Thanks so much. And uh, there is a question from Boris that I think is probably really, it goes to kind of your last point you were making there in the talk. But he said he wanted to really thank you for your um, great talk today. But mainly, how does this talk relate to the cost of martyrs, those who have lost their life for their faith, um, at, when they have to pay that ultimate price of losing their life? I mean, this story is a little bit different than that. But obviously, you know, people, some people do lose their life because of their faith in God. How does this relate to that? Yeah, definitely. And, uh, and I guess the, the danger in, uh, in our format, both in a, a Western context where even though there can be a little bit more cost to being a Christian than there perhaps was you know, 10, 20 years ago, it's still fairly easy compared to a lot of other places. Uh, and given our format where we're just trying to you know, get a, a reasonably quick answer out in the time available, it's easy to make this sound glib uh, and it's not. Um, I think the, the couple of things to remember are that this is a, uh, when we look at the New Testament, uh, you know, Jesus died ultimately for his faith and actually all the apostles uh, died for their faith. So uh, Peter and Paul, uh, they, uh, they all died because they were trusting Jesus and teaching that message. Uh, they didn't seem to see a clash with it. So I think that's kind of the starting point is that the, uh, the founders of Christianity, uh, the, the founding uh, people of Christianity, Jesus and his apostles, um, they didn't see a clash with that. And I think it's because what we're being promised isn't an amazing life now, it's eternal life with God. Uh, so in his letter to the Philippians, uh, Paul is in jail. And uh, one of his lines uh, seems to say, uh, uh, it's in, in chapter one, but basically, however this turns out, I know it's ultimately for good. So I, I think that's if, if he stays in prison and kind of rots there and dies, or if he's released and is able to kind of go on and enjoy more years of, uh, of, of freedom and preaching the gospel, uh, so either whichever path it goes down, actually his end point is still eternal life with Christ. Uh, and so I think for Paul's answer is, yeah, some people might get martyred, uh, they might suffer and, and life can be pretty bleak, um, but they can actually keep holding on and trusting God because the promised end 
isn't comfortable life now, it's eternal life with Jesus. Um, I think that's why you even see, uh, you know, the thief on the cross, Jesus can say to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. And you know, <laughs> it's, it's a pretty bleak end for him. <laughs> Trusting Jesus doesn't that's change right. condition uh, in worldly terms, but actually it means he can have eternal life with God. So I think that's the, uh, yeah, a quick, a quick attempt, uh, recognizing that actually, you know, I, it's, they're people who are doing, being asked to give more for their faith uh, than I am uh, currently. And I'm, I'm in quite a comfortable and privileged position. There you go. Well, thanks. Thank you to Boris for asking that question, but also thank you, Lachlan. Thank you for the talk today. It's really great getting back to Bible shots. Uh, you just did a, a wonderful job. Um, but, uh, now, next week, I think that um, we're not here. Is that? Can you explain maybe what's going yeah. on next week? So uh, I haven't updated the website yet, uh, and I, I will if that's how you uh, stay in tune with things. But uh, next week is uh, actually our City Bible Forum staff conference. Uh, and so while initially it looked like we'd be able to have Bible shots as well, um, that's not actually going to happen. And so <laughs> next, week, next week, we'll be on break. And then we're actually going to have two weeks of Sam Chan, and then we'll We'll finish Ruth after that. So uh, like a good uh, series cliffhanger, we're left wondering what's going to happen to Ruth and Boaz. Will they get back together? We will find out, but that'll be a few weeks away. So next week we're on break. And then we're going to be back after that same time with uh, Sam Chan for two weeks. Right. Well, thanks, Lachlan. We look forward to actually hearing the rest of Ruth and also going back in a couple weeks with that. Yeah, if you want to find out more, go to citybibleforum.org. You'll be able to see the updated details will be on the website, but also um, you can contact us through that if you have further questions beyond what we were able to address here today. So thanks once again for being here. Thanks, um, Lachlan, for the talk. And um, this is Russ Matthews with City Bible Forum. We hope to see you in a couple weeks.